Good morning. Welcome to Faith Discovery Church. We are so thankful that you are here this morning. Um, what a great way to just start our week is by joining together our brothers and sisters um, to come and look to God. Our verse today is Psalm 16. Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my master. All the good things I have are from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Those who chase after other gods will be filled with sorrow. I will not take part in their sacrifices or even speak the names of their gods. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is filled with joy, and my mouth shouts his praises. My body rests in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your godly one to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Amen. Lord, we thank you that we can come to your word and find life and find freedom and find joy. Lord God, for your promises are rich. Lord, I pray over this service today. Lord God, I pray that you would just draw us by your spirit and that your anointing would be rich in this room. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand as our youth say the creed this morning. Good morning. Welcome to FTC. My name is Becca. Would you please stand with me and recite the creed as we declare our name? Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit and in Christ the Church. The communion of all believers. The forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen.
You may be seated. First, I'd like to welcome those of you who are joining us online this morning. It's really our privilege to be able to serve you in this way. And we thank you for being part of our congregation. And when we pray, we're praying for you as well. A lot of needs in this congregation and a lot of needs in this world. Again, our hearts go out to those families in Alabama who have suffered that loss. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today in adoration and praise. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity. And you guide the nations upon the earth. And so, Lord, be gracious to us and bless us. Make your face to shine upon us so that we can make your way known upon the earth and your saving power among all the nations of the world. Once again, we fall on our knees before you and we ask for your mercy. Forgive us, Lord, as we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Forgive us for speaking out of turn and perhaps with harsh words of criticism. Cleanse us again with your Holy Spirit. Create in us a clean heart, one that is obedient to your desires and your will. And grant us a forgiving spirit so that we may extend your forgiveness to those around us. We thank you this morning for your presence with us in this service. Thank you, Lord, for all in this congregation who love you and serve you in so many ways. And thank you for the many opportunities you have given us to proclaim your gospel. Thank you for the many seeds that have been planted in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. And thank you in advance for new ways to spread the good news, ways that we haven't even thought of yet. Please be our vision and guide us into the future. For unless you build our church, we labor in vain. For those who have a need of healing this morning, Lord, we pray that you would touch their bodies and minds for your glory. For those who need direction, place your wisdom in their minds. For those who may be suffering from financial problems, Lord, we pray you would provide for their needs out of your riches and glory. And for those who may be confused, perhaps at the end of their rope, be the God of all comfort and let them know that they can cast their burdens on you. And for those in our family or circle of friends who do not know you as Lord and Savior, we ask you to reveal yourselves to them and lead them to Christ. Bless now the remainder of this service. We pray for your anointing and that it would rest on our pastor as he breaks the word for us this morning. Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts and minds to receive what your spirit is saying to us this day. 
All of these things we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen and amen. Take a moment and greet someone who's near you or maybe afar from you, especially if you haven't seen them before. Good morning. It is good to see you all. It is good to see you all greeting one another. So thank you for doing that this morning. If you are new with us and if you greeted a lot of people that you don't know, <laughs> um, we would love to know that you're here. So if you could fill out a new here card that's in front of you, <clears throat> excuse me, or you can scan the QR code there or in your bulletin. We would love to know that you are here and that you are very welcome. We have a couple things coming up in the next few weeks. Um, this Friday, the 21st, um, at 6.30, not in the cafe. They're moving it outside. It's going to be pizza around the fire pit. Um, so up at the Family Fellowship Center out there, um, there'll be a fire pit and pizza for the guys on the 21st at 6.30. So you're welcome to join them there. I don't think you have to cook your pizza on the fire. It will come in a box pre-made. So don't worry about that. No pizza on a stick. <laughs> um, and then coming up in two weeks or in a week, um, April 28th, will be our Sister Strong Women's Ministry study right here in the cafe at 7 o'clock on Friday night. So ladies, you are very welcome to join us then. I know I say it almost every time, but even if you've never been a part of our group before, we would love to meet you. We would love for you to come out. Um, and spend some time with us in God's word. And Max Lucado is doing a study through um, Jesus' steps in the Holy Land. So it's been one week and it's been very interesting. So we hope that you can join us there. And as we thank you for your giving, we thank you for your dedication to this place and your love of this place shown many ways. Um, if you're new to giving here, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can give in an envelope and put it in a box. Um, you can set up an automatic giving online through our website, through Tithely, so that you don't have to think about it every Sunday morning if you don't want to. Um, and you can text that number as well to give that way. But we thank you so much for the ways that you support this place. And then just for a moment, we're going to think about farther out from this town and from this location, and we're going to think about missions. So um, enjoy this video just for a few minutes about Assemblies of God's mission and the ways that we support this as well through our missionaries that we support around the world. Um, and thank you for being a part of that also. For the past 109 years, the strength of Assemblies of God World Missions has been what I call the boots on the ground 
missionary. We believe nothing can replace being present among people who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Our early missionaries were called people of the one-way ticket, setting sail for unknown lands with no thought of return. Today, even with modern communication and travel, AGWM global workers have the same commitment to embody Jesus among the lost. That's why our theme this year is so significant. Christ among us. God exemplified this from the beginning when he walked in the garden with the man and woman, then when Jesus came in the flesh, and through the spirit-filled witness of the early church. Likewise, we are reaching, planting, training, and serving to establish the church among all peoples everywhere. Incarnation is AGWM's mission's model. 2 Corinthians 2 describes a vivid theme. Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. In ancient Roman processions, people burned incense to their gods that permeated the streets. Today, religions like Buddhism, Hinduism, and others burn incense in their worship rituals. An overwhelming smell of death. But as believers, we spread the aroma of Christ everywhere reminding people of the triumph, the life we have in here. Our Buddhist Hindu priority, plus a multitude of ministries in over 160 countries of the world where we have global workers on the ground enable us to incarnate Christ among a needy world. We humbly ask you to partner with us, pray with us, and go with us. I invite you to stand as we continue in worship.
pray with me this morning? God, of all the things that we pray, all of the requests that we bring, all of the praise that we bring, all of the all the ways we communicate with you, God, I can't think of a of a request more important than God that you would abide with us. Lord, we know that the scripture tells us that you will never leave us and that there's nothing that can separate us from your love. God, I thank you for those truths. But I also admit there are times where I, my feelings feel as though you're far away. There are times where we feel alone. There are times where we're just not sure where you are. God, and if in those moments, I pray that you would restore these truths to our mind. And God, for those this morning who are in that despair, in those moments of just not knowing that you're here, God, I pray that you would come. Lord, that you would let your presence be felt. That you would manifest yourself in a way that would encourage those who need encouragement. And that we would honor you. That we would follow you. And that we would abide with you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are, uh, you can feel free to be seated. Children, you guys are dismissed to Kids Church, and while they're doing that, check out this video. If we haven't met, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at Faith Discovery Church. It is a tremendous honor to all of us that you've chosen to be here today. I oft, Many of you have heard me say, uh, every time you, just, you say yes to something, you say no to other things. And the fact that you said no to all the other places you could be this morning and chose to be with us is special to us. It's an honor to us. So I want to say thank you. And if you're joining us online, we, we, we say the same thing to you. Uh, thanks for tuning in, for being part of what's happening here uh, at Faith Discovery Church and in our community. It's great to have you with us. Last Sunday was an awesome Easter Sunday. Uh, I want to thank all of you who made it a special day. And there was a lot of people who made last 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 weekend a special weekend here at, at Faith Discovery Church. And so I want to thank all of you uh, for uh, for being part of that process. I hope you've had a great week. Joy and I, we, we, uh, we, along with the boys, we were able to get away for a few days and, uh, it was really nice to kind of check out and, uh, turn my brain off for a little while. We enjoyed some, uh, a few days down the shore, but it's really good to be home. It's really good to be back with you. This week, uh, Joy and I, we were down the shore. We met some friends we haven't seen in a long time and, uh, 
people we hadn't had a chance to talk to. And so they wanted to hear about how things were going here at Faith Discovery Church. And it was so much fun for Joy and I to talk about our family. It was so much fun to talk about how immensely grateful we are to you uh, and to God for bringing us to be part of this community here. Uh, it's we. This is a special place. And so we're really honored that we get to be part of it. And so thank you for allowing us the opportunity to get away. But thanks for letting us come home, too. Um, in a very practical, I'm going to peel, the, peel back the curtain a little bit for church life. In a very practical sense, uh, in the church world, Easter is a culmination. It's the culmination of a process. If there are, there are traditional church calendars. I'm not going to talk about that. But for a second, I'm going to tell you kind of the flow of the church calendar that pastors tend to function in. So it's, our year starts really in September. Uh, and September, we start this push towards Christmas. September, late Labor Day, whatever day Labor Day is. Labor Day to Christmas is a sprint. You're like, and you're building up to Christmas. And then at Christmas, there's a little dip emotionally. But, there, but that lasts a week. And then you've got, so then January comes, it's New Year's resolution time, things are happening. The first Sunday of the year, not a lot of people come to church. The second Sunday of the year, a lot of people come to church. And so the second Sunday starts a sprint again. So you're running. As you can tell by looking at me, not a big fan of running. But we start, we're running, and then you get to Easter. And Easter is the culmination it's the big day. It's the day of the year more people are going to come to church than any other day. We try to make the building beautiful. If you came last Sunday, you saw there was fresh mulch and we had uh, lilies. For those of you who dealt with the allergies from the lilies, I apologize. Uh, we did the best we could to, to get rid of those things, but uh, we try to. We we have special events. We in our church we have people playing the trumpet and and we have special elements of the service and then pastors. As pastors, we all have this dream. We have this, we ima- every one of us, myself included, imagine that the sermon we preach on Easter will be so inspiring that everyone who comes to church on Easter will come back the next week. And it's all a facade. See, first of all, that's an ego thing, because we think it's about us. It's really about God. God built his church, not us. And so um, that's the first thing. The second thing is Easter is not a culmination. Easter is the beginning. Easter is a beginning of God's new work on our planet. And so, you see, the gospel doesn't end with a distressed Christ. The gospel doesn't end with a crucified Christ. It doesn't even end with a resurrected Christ. The, the, the gospel story, the earthly account of Jesus, ends with his ascension. It ends with an ascended Christ. The gospel writers end with Jesus, who is our Lord and our King, reigning on high from heaven, awaiting an appointed time for his return. And so 
It's those last two words of that last sentence that I want to spend some time focusing on this morning. His return. In Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, is Luke's account of Jesus' ascension. And it says, uh, it says the disciples, it says, Then they, and it's talking about the disciples, gathered around him, Jesus, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, time out. The disciples had forever believed that since Jesus was the Messiah, he was going to restore God's kingdom of Israel. It was really hard for them to wrap their minds around the fact that Jesus was going to do that in a way that was very different than what they had expected or anticipated. Did you ever have something that you so looked forward to, and then when it got there, it was very different than you had anticipated? Sometimes that can be a letdown. So Jesus has been traveling with these guys for multiple years. He, they watch him die, as he said he would, and they watch him come back to life, as he said he would. And then they're like, okay, you did everything you said you would. Now's got to be the time where you become the king of Israel and restore. That was very hard for the disciples to let go of. They had an idea of what was going to happen, and any kind of change outside that was 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 a, was was a stark change to them. And so even after all this life, this this earthly life of Jesus, as he's setting to go back to or to return to heaven, as he's going back to sit on his throne in heaven, they're like, okay, so is now when it's going to happen? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Then in verse 8, it's a powerful uh, powerful verse that many of you who have been part of church for a long time may have have heard about and and built. It's kind of a t-shirt verse or a bumper sticker verse. It's one of those things that we claim and we're, is declarative. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were... They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, which, of course, they were. Because they're standing there with Jesus, and he starts floating. Now, they've seen this guy walk on water. They've seen this guy heal people. They've seen this guy raise from the dead and seemingly walk through walls. But this still had to be like a thing like, what? And so they're staring intently to Jesus as he's going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, said the men, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Those two men dressed in white offered a promise that has captivated and confused people for centuries. It's energized and alienated people groups from each other. It has, it was, it's been an inspirational source of hope for Christians. But for first century Christians struggling under Roman oppression, 
especially in the areas outside of Israel. Like, an, like Asia Minor, like Turkey and those areas. For early Christians, hope was turning to hopelessness. You see, no one thought that Jesus' return would be far off. The Apostle Paul, in his writings, he talks about the, the, the expected return of Jesus. They never thought that that would happen after. They, they all thought they'd see it. It was all going to be part of their lives. And so the longer it went and the more difficult it meant it was to be a Christian in that society, the more people began to lose hope that Jesus was going to come back. And how, or, or when he was going to come back. When is he going to make it okay? Help us. When is he going to go back to the, what their question? Is it now that you're going to set up the reign of God? And so... For centuries, people have wondered what really is happening with the idea of Jesus' return. This, uh, time out, an aside. We're going to talk about the the return of Jesus this morning. It's not something I normally would talk about. In fact, I spend a couple times a year I go, and some of you know this, and I've, I've talked about this a little bit, I'll go and I will do some long-term planning, and I'll pray and read and think about what the Lord, ask God what the Lord would have us to be talking about and focusing on over specific periods of time. And we typically, myself and uh, the, some of the, te- the elders and the team around me, uh, that we, we process this and I car- uh, throw my thoughts off of them and share my preaching calendar with them. We typically know, well, for instance, I have a pretty good idea what I'm preaching out through Christmas. We, we know this stuff. It's not like I don't wake up Saturday morning and say, what am I going to talk about tomorrow? But most of the time, I am someone who will definitely tend to focus on uh, trying to build our identity as to Christ, focus on how we can live as Christians in the world. And so an idea like the second coming, not typically on my preaching forefront. But when the Holy Spirit leads me into something, that's where we're going to go. And so for the next couple of weeks, starting today, we're going to talk about Jesus's power over nature. And the first aspect of that, the first thing that I think about when I think about Jesus's power over nature is he became alive again. And so Jesus dies, raises from the dead, and is still alive. And so as he has this experience with his disciples post-resurrection, they, they hang out with him for, for a couple of weeks. And then he goes to heaven and to, he had said, I'll return. And then as they watch him go to heaven, two men dressed in white come and say, why are you looking into the sky? Uh, he's going to come back. And while, he's, while you're waiting, you've got stuff to do. Things are not what they seem necessarily to first century Christians. And throughout the history of Christianity, that's not been, uh, that, the, it's not been that uncommon. The American church has had similar experiences of things didn't go as, as necessarily as we expected. Uh, in 1970, Hal Lindsey wrote a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. 
Uh, it introduced millions of readers to end time prophecy. Uh, as I, I was thinking about this book and, and its effects, I was going through uh, my office and the bottom shelf in my office bookcases are books that Pastor Jerry left. Not necessary. I guess they weren't going to fit in his home library. But uh, things, gifts that he left to me. And sure enough, I went and looked and the book, The Late Great Planet Earth, was on the bottom shelf. But this was a popular book. It was incredibly popular and equally frightening to people. It talked about the, an, a, a coming apocalypse. It was the best-selling nonfiction book in the 1970s uh, and the 80s. In fact, uh, 10 million sold throughout the 70s. Another 28 million copies were sold in the 80s. Um, and uh, by by the turn of the century, uh, they say about 35 million copies have been sold. It had been translated into 50 languages. Uh, in 1977, there was a movie that had been that was narrated by Orson Welles, uh, and that one, uh, one, it was uh, on screens nationwide. And one critic said, "The only book that's outsold the late great planet Earth is the Bible itself." The idea of what was going to happen really became popular throughout the last 50 years. In fact, for many people, this book became part of the Bible because it gave one person's interpretation of what the Bible talked about in somewhat confusing aspects. And so people read this and said, that's what's going to happen. So much so that in 1988, there was a person who wrote a book that said, why Jesus, 88 reasons Jesus is coming back in 1988. And then in 1999, he wrote another book, 89 reasons. He had a real good series going. He set that up. But it didn't happen. And so the the events of the late great planet Earth, which was anticipated, didn't necessarily go as the book had said. And so in the 90s, a new book or series of books came out and accompanied with some really bad movies. Some of you know it as the Left Behind series. And that became very popular in the 90s. Rumors. Predictions, interpretations, all layered on the same idea today as it was for the early Christians that Peter writes to encourage in the first century. In Second Peter chapter 3, it says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. Elements will be, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done it will be laid bare. Wow. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you. I'm not going to tell you today. I don't know what it means. For centuries, people have talked about what they think the interpretations, predictions, and prophecies of the Bible, how they will be fleshed out. What I want to do today is talk to you about what the Bible says about the second coming of Jesus. 
As we, as we look about this, Scripture teaches us that Jesus defeated death. That he is alive. That he's at work right now and that he's coming again. Now, maybe you've heard what Hal Lindsey said. Or maybe you le- read the Left Behind series. But this morning I want to unpack what the Bible says about Christ's return and how it might impact our thinking and choices. But to be clear, I said it once, I'm going to say it again. I'm not going to solve all the debates about end times today. Instead, what I want to do as we begin to talk about Jesus' power over nature is to point out what is unquestionably true about Christ's promised return according to the Scriptures. And I'll offer you four certainties that I find in the Scriptures that will support my thoughts today. First, the first thing, Christ's return, the time, the day is secret. None of us know when it will happen. First and foremost, the day that the second coming will happen has not been disclosed. It's a secret and, and will remain so until Christ reappears. Mark 13, 32, Jesus makes it very clear to us. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Not the person who wrote 88 reasons why Christ is coming back in 1988. There are people who will predict things. There will be people who will give their interpretation of what Scripture is saying. I'm not saying people don't have the right to do that. That's fine. I'm telling you what Scripture says. The first thing that Scripture says about Christ's return is that no one knows when it's going to happen. If Jesus himself didn't know the timing the Father set, then how can any of us claim to know the time, the day or the hour? When we get into taking earnest biblical studies and we put our own interpretations or predictions on it, we have crossed a sketchy line with Scripture. What we can say for sure is that according to Luke 12, the Son of Man is coming at an hour we don't expect. Day is secret. Second, his appearance will be sudden. The return of Jesus will be sudden. Uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew in chapter 24 equates it to like lightning striking across the sky. Yesterday, Joy and I were sitting on our front porch as that storm came through. By the way, it was like 85 degrees in the morning. And it was like 55 degrees by last night. That storm really came through, and with it came power. And there was lightning strike. We're sitting on our front porch, and I, it's awesome to watch lightning. But you don't know when it's coming, and when it flashes, it's, it really makes a scene. Jesus came as a child, as a baby. He was born in a manger. And shepherds announced it. For those shepherds, I mean, not shepherds. Angels announced it to the shepherds. The shepherds didn't announce it. Angels announced it. For those shepherds in the field, that angelic experience was, wow. The way the Bible describes Jesus coming is all of us will see, will have, all who experience it. It will be a wow experience. It will be sudden. Uh, Peter, like I read, says it's going to be like a thief in the night. Acts 1, which we, which we read earlier, is a key text for this, the sudden nature of Christ's appearance. Because 
when, when Jesus is ascending into heaven, those two men dressed in white, standing amongst uh, an amazed group of apostles. But wow, right, we thought we'd seen him do everything. Now he does that? They said, this same Jesus will appear. He'll return bodily. He'll return visibly. He'll return suddenly. As he went to heaven, so he will return to earth. Perhaps it'll happen more likely than anything. I say perhaps, because who am I? But perhaps it will, ju- it will feel like just another day at the office for people. It'll be just another day in the fields. It'll be a day when people are having their weddings or surgeries or they're dropping their kids off at school. It will be, it will inevitably feel like just another day. And then all of a sudden, it won't. So, it will be secret, it will be sudden. The third thing the Bible tells us is it will be spectacular. It will be markedly different from his first coming. Um, The shepherds had to seek out Jesus in the manger. And three wise men had to go inquire to Herod about the Messiah, the king in Jerusalem. Christ's second coming won't be like that. 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us, The Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of a command, and the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. The way I read that, the way I understand that, Jesus' return will will prove unmistakable, as it will bend and break the limits of time and space as we know them. We can't predict the hour. But we can be sure that no one will be unaware that it's happening. It will be spectacular. When the Lord of Lords and King of Kings returns to rescue his people. Fourth thing that the Bible says. Is that it will happen next. No, I'm just kidding. See if you're paying attention. It will cause separation. Matthew 24 says when he, con- when he returns, he will separate the sheep from the goats. What does that mean? Well, there's a lot of interpretations of what that means. But inevitably, there will be some type of designation pointed from those who are followers of Jesus and those who are not. What will it be? We don't know. There are people who will tell you who they know. But there were people who told us that there were 88 reasons that Jesus was coming back in 1988. The the thing we can be secure on is that there will be some type of separation that comes. Christ's followers will inherit the kingdom prepared for them since the foundation of the world. There will be an awareness of who's a follower of Christ and who's not. That's what the Bible teaches us. And so, okay, Jason, all that's fine. What does that have to do with me? It's a great question. Because the reality is, Jesus Jesus says his return will be at the time the Father intends. I don't believe that's going to be today. 
You want to know why I know that I don't believe that's going to be today? It's because I prepare for tomorrow. And so the idea of Jesus' coming is something that we should be aware of, but we shouldn't be necessarily uber-focused on because Jesus gave us instructions on what to do while we're waiting for him. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes to to the people in Thessalonica, and he's explaining to them about the second coming, but he's kind of chastising them, because here's what's happened to the people in Thessalonica. They've stopped really living. There's really no reason for them to plan for the future because Jesus is coming back. So they've stopped really doing anything. They just, they don't, some of them don't even have jobs. I don't have to work. Jesus is coming back. And Paul's like, that's stupid. That's Jason translation. You're not going to read that phrase. But Paul's like, You don't know when it's going to happen, but you've got to be prepared. Live your life. In fact, Jesus called us to something while he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. While Jesus says, I'm going to return in due time, Jesus says, Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples. Jesus gave us an initiative. And so as the first century comes starts to come to an end and Christians around the Mediterranean are struggling. Peter offers some instruction. Um, the apostles, all while they believed that the return of Christ was near, as time went on, they really sought to prepare their people to live in such a way as to live with, with Christ. And not be focused so much on when he's returning. And so we read that passage from 1 Peter just a few minutes, minutes ago, verses 8 and 9 in chapter 3. When the Lord, uh, with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is, is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient with you, not wishing that anyone should perish, and that, uh, but that all should re- reach repentance. Our God is sovereign. He, and he stands outside of time. The span of two millennia, let alone eternity, is practically inconceivable to our minds. But from God's perspective, it may well feel like two days ago since Jesus was here. And not only was it two days ago since Jesus was here, but it's Maybe two days, it just feels like two days since the Holy Spirit's been here with us. See, God didn't, when Jesus left, God didn't abandon us. He sent us his spirit. And so while we await Christ's return, we live now with the spirit of God in us. And so, while when impatience wells up in us or we we get confused or we get complacent or we we start to wonder when's this going to happen Christ himself testified surely i am coming soon and so 
what does this mean to us? What does this mean to us? What can we do? Well, first, we can pray that Jesus would come. All God's people uh, respond in Revelation 22. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That can be our prayer. Lord Jesus, come. We could be praying that. We should be praying that. And we can pray that in two ways or in multiple ways. We can pray, God, be with me as I walk through this earth. God, be with me as I go through this really difficult thing that I'm walking through. God, give me the strength that only you can provide to walk me through this. Jesus, come, be with me. Abide with me. And Jesus, come back. That can be our prayer. That should be our prayer. And then second, we can heed the instructions of Peter as he goes on in that in second chapter, uh, second Peter three, that he gave to first century Christians. This letter wasn't to us. He's writing specifically to people of that time. But through that time, through the letter that they received, we can be encouraged and inspired. It says you ought to be to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and, and its speed and speed its coming, the day will bring about destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with the promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be spotless, blameless, and at peace with him goes on to say, therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, uh, be on your guard so that you will not be carried away by the errors of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But go, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord uh, and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. A couple things that Peter instructs or encourages that church to do. First, to live holy and godly lives. Our choices and our character matters. It matters to Jesus. It matters to us. When we, we talk so much about allow, praying that the Holy Spirit would come and recreate us anew, make us into new individuals, all throughout Lent, We focused on the fact that in the kingdom of God, one finds their life by losing it. That idea of choosing others over ourselves. That character matters. Peter says, don't be, don't be confused. God's waiting so that all will come to him. We know that the fact of that is more than likely not going to happen. Not everyone will choose Jesus. But when we live our lives as representative where the character of Christ shines through, we're offering opportunities to those in our circles to see a different way of living. And Peter says, live that way. He says also, be at peace with God and with others. If you've been around this church at all over the last 18 months. You've heard that in a little bit of a different way. 
Jesus said, I'm going to sum up all the commands and sum up them too. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors as yourself. It's on the heart right behind me. Love God and love others. Peter says, be at peace with God and be at peace with others. That's how we prepare. And then he says, um, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Know what we believe. When we come to faith in Jesus, a wonderful thing starts. But it should not be the culmination. It should be the beginning. We should know. We should study. We should allow ourselves to read scripture. We should have questions. Oh, there's nothing better than when you guys send me questions. Hey, what does it mean when it says this? When we embrace that, when we take part in growing in our discipleship, in the foundations of what we believe, we secure, not that Jesus was going to love us, but we secure our relationship with Jesus. Know about it. Grow in it. The the number one way that we can become more like Christ is to read Christ's word. Know what we believe. And lastly, he says, know Jesus. Deepen your relationship with Jesus. While we're waiting for Jesus to come back, get to know Jesus better. Some, like the people in in Thessalonica, have become so focused on when Jesus is coming back that they've missed the idea of getting to know who Jesus is right now. Let us not make that mistake. He's going to come back someday. Is it going to be today? I probably don't think so. But I know what I am, fo- what I am to focus on today is to live a life, is to get him known better, build my relationship with him, and live a life that represents his character in the world. Jesus has power over nature, which means his power over my nature. He can recreate me anew. And so the really curmudgeon-y, crabby, ornery guy becomes friendly and loving and focused on other people rather than myself. He has the power to change us. But we have to invest in that. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you are coming and that we have the hope of your coming. But while you're here, while you're there and we're here, God, I thank you for the gift of your spirit. And I pray that we would live out our mission in Washington in Warren County, in the Lehigh Valley, and that we would be a church and be a group of people who support that mission around the world. Be honored by what we say and do. Amen. The idea of the second coming of Christ is, and and the, 
and the mission that that calls us to has been a pivotal part of our church. We, we watched a missions video earlier today about missionaries who traveled the world to share with the lost the hope of Jesus. We're going to do that. We're going to focus on missions over the next couple of weeks, but missions has always been a fundamental part of this church. For those of you who have been around a long time, you'll know the names like Reinhardt's and Jacob's and Bishop's. And the missionaries who've come from this church, who are even now serving around the world. When we highlight or when we focus on missions, and I encourage you to go visit that bulletin, that wall, not a bulletin board, but wall of our missionaries that you support. You're helping people around the world find the hope of Jesus' return and the life with Jesus. So we're going to continue to do that over the next couple of weeks, but we have a hope. I'm going to invite Doc, if you, you would come. And um, Laura, would you come? I didn't really, I forgot to talk to Garrett. This is what happens when I'm away on vacation a week. Logistics fall through. So we do it live. Um, but we share communion at the end of each service. And we do that because it's a way to invite Christ in. He instructed his disciples to remember him at this meal. And so each Sunday we come together. So what we do is we invite you to stand and come to the, one of the center aisles that you're closer to, receive the elements from our, our leadership, and then return to your seat and we'll share communion together. I have to tell you, it's really, really inspiring and fun to watch those lines take longer and to know we need to have more groups because there's more of us who are coming and sharing this together. Scripture teaches us that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And as he sat with his disciples, he said that this bread is his body, which was broken for them, which is broken for us. And that as often as they came together, as they came to the table to eat, that they should do so uh, with him in mind. 
And that someday he would share the meal with them again. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we long to share this meal with you again. But we're grateful that you have not left us alone and that you've called us and given us a purpose. Amen. Would you take the bread with me? It says after supper, they took the cup and Jesus said that this cup represented the new covenant in his blood. Jesus, thank you for your blood. That stained liquid that somehow defies my logic and that cleanses me. God, I thank you for taking my sins on you and for making it possible for me to have relationship with the Father, for all of us to have relationship with the Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you drink? Would you stand as I offer today's benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God, I pray that we would go and that we would live out our mission and that we would Be aware of the hope of your presence. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.